0: This is the Lazy Women Podcast.
1: Hi everyone, welcome to the Lazy Women Podcast. Today I have two guests with me, Anshita Kuhl and Mari Volar, two international comedians and the co-founders of the Clit Comedy Club. Thank you both for joining me. Hello. Hello. Good to have you. That was unison.
0: That was beautiful.
1: (laughs) Um, So you are both creators of the Click Comedy Club, an inclusive feminist comedy space that offers its audiences a chance to see up and coming comedians showcasing their material, all while conducting a scientific study to determine once and for all whoever thought women are not funny, right? Wow, that was long. Oh, that is, uh, that is a
0: little bit, that is actually a little bit cringe because most of the shit I just wrote on a whim because I had to press publish.
2: Yeah. And it's the first time someone has said it out loud to us because it's usually us saying the same thing to each other. Yeah. It's the first time someone else has said it out loud and yeah. it sounds very good and cringy like Mari said. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It's it, it basically, this is the first time anybody has actually given a shit. So this is
1: great. <laughs> All right. So tell me, tell me the story behind the comedy club. Why did you create it? Do you want the, the honest story or the PR approved story? Well, honest
0: story would be best. Um, well, the honest story.
2: It was the pandemic.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. The honest story was there was a pandemic. Uh, Travel was difficult, and I was very poor, and I wanted to be on stage, and I realized that the only way I could do that is if I produced my own shows. But I didn't know what I was doing, so I was like, I need somebody to help me. And then I met Anchida, who had been in the game for way longer, and was like, hey, I'm great at creative, but I hate admin. So if you do all of that, I'm in. And here we are, three years later, whatever it is.
2: (laughs) So how did you meet, actually? On a Tinder date? No.
0: <laughs> this, this is how I meet most of my friends, actually. Uh, but uh, no, we were we were set up by a, a mutual acquaintance in comedy who knew that we were both in Cologne, um, which is where I still live. And Cologne at the time had like three and a half comedians in it, so uh, I didn't know anybody. Um, and so Anchida was um, was here, and and we were put in touch, and then and then everything else is history. I'm very sordid. We can't discuss it in public. <laughs>
1: Uh, of course. Yeah,
2: I got a message from Amari, and I was like, "All right." And we met in Cologne at a cafe, and we discovered that we're just twins, yeah, uh, from two different parts of the world. Yeah. And yeah, like she said, like I was like, "As long as you can handle the admin, I'm in, babe. Like, you know, let's do it." So, because I ca- I'm not a fan of German bureaucracy. No one is. Oh. But I mean. <laughs> Yeah. There are some brave people like Mari who try to
1: engage with it. So I was brave, like, yeah, let's do brave
0: that. or masochistic, that is up for
1: debate. <laughs> yeah, I don't know which one's yeah. worse French or German bureaucracy. <laughs> As an Indian, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> and now yeah. uh you have this show the clitoris act mm-hmm. tell me a bit about it how did you come up with it what's the point you're trying to get across once again do you want the pr story or the owner <laughs> story i i think
2: it's a very it's a very beautiful way how it was born because it there was no intention of like from either of us to write this but we found there was a festival uh, of performance art festival that was happening in cologne and um it was more of an artsy kind of a festival and the theme was bodies and uh, we realized that oh we can maybe create a show uh, which revolves around this theme yeah. bodies and we have a lot of experience um, with this subject and we, that's how we started writing the show to apply to this festival and of course we tried to use different forms like theater, comedy, it was not just pure stand-up comedy. And uh, we came up with everything, the blurbs, the, you know, the whole thesis and everything. But we did not get it in the (laughs) festival. Of course. (laughs) Yeah. So we were like, oh, now we have a show, but we don't know what to do with it. So we started applying to more festivals. And then we got into one of the festivals. And that was the first time we performed the show. And yeah, after that, yeah, it's been quite a while. And since, you know, we've been changing the show, taking it on small tours i think this is the first time it's going to be like a five big city tour yeah uh, but we've been performing the show since september 2021
1: mm.
2: and it's gotten mm-hmm. really interesting and it's grown it's evolved as well and yeah we're very we're very, very happy and confident with the show i think now so I mean, we have to be, we're taking it on a tour, so. Yeah, exactly.
0: I I just, I was like, I I should have done some statistics beforehand, but I just quickly counted. We've been to four countries already, um, about six different cities so far, and now we're going to take it to, well, four more countries then, I guess. No, three more countries. Fuck, I can't
1: World
2: (laughs) World domination. World
0: domination. domination. But yeah, basically, long story short, uh, there was a festival about bodies. We were like, wow, we both have one. Great, let's talk about it. And now we have a show.
1: Amazing. And um, well, some of the topics you cover, kind of uh, queerness, catcalling, fat shaming, being an immigrant, all of this, they are very politicized. Um, Do you consciously use, I guess, humor as political activism, or is that kind of a result of talking about the, <laughs> <laughs> just something wow. outside of the male experience? I want, to,
2: I want to pretend to be like, yes, it's an, <laughs> yes, we actually sat down and we're like, we we're gonna change the world. I, I think it's a, more of a consequence.
0: Yeah, I think I so sorry, I'm just gonna I I thought about it. And it's such a weird thing to say that, hey, these topics are really politicized. It's literally our life. (laughs) Like, that is literally what we live. We are both immigrants. We are both women. We are both fat. Um, You know, we are both queer. Like, this is just our existence. So really, like to think that, oh, you know, my existence is so politicized and so polarized, it's like, for fuck's sake, mostly, I just want to walk down to the supermarket and get bread, you know, and so the fact that um, so many people think that these topics are these like, huge, important, like they are huge and important. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's like, I I can't make dick jokes because I don't have a dick. (laughs) So I literally need to talk about the stuff that I know. And this is the stuff that, you know, we both know.
2: Yeah, I think for me, personal is political, political is personal. It's always been like this. I do not um, confirm or, you know, relate with the idea when someone says they're apolitical. I think if someone says they're apolitical, they're just privileged or white, you know. So it's mostly it's coming from their understanding of, um, you know, how the world works for them on Mm -hmm. most days. So that's why they think that they don't need to be political, but actually, like I think everybody is political because, like inherently, we have to be because they are our imagined systems around us. You know, we we engage with that system day in day out. So, uh, from trivial things, um, you know, economy or whether it's art or whether it's uh, existing as square fat women in the society, um, I think it becomes political because yeah, we we are trying to take space in a. In a world that was not designed for us mm. originally right so it yeah. becomes political as a consequence of that but when we talk uh or when we make comedy about whatever our experiences are there are shared or lived experiences and we mostly talk about our own personal experiences but because there are so many identities that get involved so it becomes like identity politics as well so it might seem like uh if you're watching the show it might seem like oh you know they've carefully curated the topics but I I cannot tell you how painful it is that you know that these topics are our lives day in day out so yeah yeah. so it's not like we consciously chose these topics we just decided to talk about our shared and lived experiences and here we are. Mm
0: -hmm. And if we put if we would put every single thing into the show every single topic that we live and is politicized this show would be four days long (laughs) and it's not because it's not Wagner. We can't do that shit. So yeah. it's like an hour. It might
2: become a podcast one day. It you might become know. a podcast
0: if, if I get a new microphone. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I guess who you are is political, right? Even just like being a woman, being an immigrant, It's all. it's all political. Yep. It
0: is. And, and and yeah, in a way, it's unfortunate that we have to think about it. But as Anshita said, yes, like everything we do is political. The way, you know, we vote every day with our feet, with our wallets, and like knowing that we have that power as like a, a community or as, as as a group of people is really important. I think a lot of people forget that very often and think, well, you know, all of this shit is, you know, beyond my capacity and my capabilities well actually it isn't because all you need is is enough like-minded people and you know, when when we thought that okay, we're gonna bring this show to to Budapest, I'm from the Eastern Bloc. I'm from Estonia, so I was like, oh, I you know, I have a point of reference for all of this. Yes, of course, this is my life as well. And then we, you know, then we actually were told some of the the policies that have come out of of, of Hungary, mm-hmm. of, you know, the last years and 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 so on and so so forth. Then we were like, oh, okay, no, actually, yeah, this is. Mm, are we going to be allowed in the country? And now we're selling tickets, and people are, you know, super happy to come and see the show. So, so even even in a um, in a society where, where things seem to be going backwards, we can come and and do these things, and people are interested in them. And
1: time travelers, time <laughs> travelers.
0: Yes, we are time travelers from the west. No, oh, no, we're not. No.
1: No. So at um, at Lazy Women, we previously um, talked about the punchline gap. Um, the idea that men achieve more laughs than women and then there's also this um, concept where women tend to fake laughter um, Mm -hmm. to placate men I'd like to get your kind of thoughts on that have you as female comedians experienced this gap yeah
2: I think that's why we're in comedy I, I, I kind of trying to reduce the gap but like More than as a comedian, just as a female, I think 20 years of my life, I just laughed at really bad sexist jokes. Um, And then, of course, you know, felt really shitty about laughing because I felt like, you know, because you, at least if I speak from my experience, I was raised to kind of make people very comfortable around me. And if that person's gender is male, uh, that's very important Mm -hmm. because, you know, in your head, you're like, yeah, men are running the world, men are running the society. So, of course, they have more. Power than any other gender like cis men, ciset men so yeah so I think even if it, I did not like the joke or even if I found it really problematic it was such a like you know bo- bodily response it was like it was it had become my norm until you know I had the privilege of more experiences in life I traveled more where I realized that I don't really have to do this and at, I think at some point I realized that you know, most of these people are not funny and I have funnier shit to say. So maybe then just being, just laughing on these really bad sexist jokes, I should just start making my own sexist jokes, no, not sexist (laughs) (laughs) But like just get into the comedy and because I often got the one thing that I often got in India, back in India, whenever someone would make a misogynist remark or sexist joke, and I if I did retaliate, if I said that, you know, what like or I made a face often the the counter was like oh I was just joking Mm -hmm. yeah I was just joking you know and it became like okay if you can just say I'm just joking you can get away with a lot of bullshit yeah so I was like okay then I need to start joking as well because there's so much I want to say right so if you can get away with uh, a lot of things when you're just joking then why are women not joking because our entire life is equal to pain sometimes I feel like you know and uh, best comedy comes out of there so I think for me uh, as more as a female than as a comedian but of course when I started doing comedy I immediately that was the first thing I felt because I started doing comedy in India so I whenever I used a cuss word or whenever I um, said something which is not acceptable in the Indian society Um, the audience laughed but it was a nervous laughter you know Mm. they would giggle and say oh my god did she really say that and then they would start laughing and uh, they would not give attention to the effort that I've put in the punchline or the brains that I've put in the punchline but they would laugh as if I was giggling them with these cuss words and or you know saying things that they usually don't get to hear from the women in their lives And now there's this loud mouth woman on stage saying things. And I felt like, um, yeah, I was like, it was my talent was going into waste because at the end of the day, they are going to laugh more about the fact that I exist on stage and I'm I'm saying things, I'm speaking my mind. But if there was a male comedian who would do the same thing, he would definitely get more laughs because men talk like that. You know, men use cuss words all the time. Men uh, take space all the time. So, you know, all of those nuances... I like were not applied in my case. So definitely the, if, if, if I would say the in fact, I remember back in India as a social experiment, male comic friend of mine and me, we did this because we had a discussion about this. So I asked him to do my punchlines on stage and I went after him and we got different laughs. Wow. Hence proved. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: I I also I love this like concept of like uh you know who. Who thinks what of humor? Like um mm. this this sort of um dating study came out recently, and um the the main thing that you know kind of went viral from it was that, uh, most people say that they need uh, their partner or they want their partner to have a sense of humor, but then the question was what do you count as a sense of humor and for women it was men who can make me laugh and for men it was women who can laugh at my jokes
1: oh right so
0: so like the inherent understanding of what funny is is different like in the sort of cishet world right and so um so for me that was that was like an aha moment because i've always thought you know you look at you know male comedians are like oh yeah and then you know i hooked up with this girl after the show and like there is so much of that bravado there and then for women it's like oh yeah this one guy came and told me i was funny and he was super creepy and i ran away you know it's like like those experiences you know just on a on a very basic level are very different which is which is funny but um, I when I work in comedy, when I produce, I very often work with women, um, sometimes only with women uh, or at least 50 percent women. Right. On the lineups. And so uh, for, for a, quite a long time, my comedy experience was skewed from that because I started producing very early on. So I just had women around all the time. Mm -hmm. And then when I actually, once the pandemic ended and I was traveling more and I was going into new spaces, new comedy rooms and, um, The notion that I then got of like, oh, I'm maybe the only woman here or there's another one, um, you know, and then there's like six guys and the literal, not the literal, but the proverbial dick measuring contest that sometimes happen sort of backstage. And like, it's all this sort of banter. And I kind of, a part of me really likes it, but a part of me also feels really uncomfortable because I'm like, I feel like pretty actively excluded Mm. From the conversation itself, because it's the sort of bro kind of culture that uh, very often happens. Um, it's not like that everywhere, uh, and and luckily, at least my experience is that it's getting a lot better, and people um, are a lot more aware of this as time goes on. But um, I think also it's because we are finally talking about these things, and <laughs> yeah. that's an important thing to do.
2: Yeah, I like to say the green room is getting diverse. So yeah, <laughs> more
0: diverse. Yeah. It's still not
1: diverse, but it's, yeah. it's, it's better. Yeah. 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 Cause it's, I mean, it's very male dominated, right? Standard comedy.
0: Yes. So the statistics, the, the only like official statistics um, about gender representation in comedy come from the U S um, and the statistics are that um, 12 to 15% of comics are women. Um, and in Europe, I would say at a large, it's probably similar than the US, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's not great. Even if it is 20% in Europe, it's still it's still like a fifth, you know. Yeah. So, so there's definitely a lot of inequality there, um, sort of gender-wise itself.
1: I know that women uh, comedians receive a lot of kind of bullying and abuse online. Has that been your experience as well? Have you had issues and how do you deal with I- it? That's why I moved to Germany.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, so... I mean, I've had... I've received death threats and rape threats as well uh, for making jokes. Especially, I think, in India, there's a bit of... Um, the line you draw is you can't joke about historical figures. Religion is off the table. And uh, politicians, you know, if they are, like, very profilic or, like, it's very... They have a fan base. Because in India, politicians do tend to have mm-hmm. a fan base and which is mostly men so um, a lot of my uh, friends who are female comics based in India they faced as well so you then start to censor yourself because I come from Jammu and Kashmir, Uh, Kashmir being a very politicized piece of land between India and Pakistan as a Kashmiri I tend to do a lot of political comedy as well and uh, the opinions about Kashmir in India are like completely polarized. And so, you know, if you go on stage, you are a woman and you talk about Kashmir. Uh, and if you talk about the unpopular opinions you have, uh, yeah, they're going to come at you. So I faced that a lot there. Here it's a bit easier for me because here here when I get trolled, it's very cute. It's very cute <laughs> how they troll. Like, you know, it's more like, you know, body shaming or it's more like, uh, I, I love dick pics. I love dick pics. Dick, <laughs> dick pics. Dick no, pics Angela,
0: the, you can say that. Stop no, I have, dick
2: pics because, because I have a I have a buffet to choose from, you know. So <laughs> I have de- death threats, rape threats, dick pics, and then just uh, you know trolling. I would, if I have to make a choice, I would choose dick pics uh, in my DMs <laughs> because dick pic has like you know it's you, you can perceive it as a piece of modern art. Like you know, there's no words. It's just a dick, and you look at it, and you can perceive it the way you want there's no explanation but then when you when when there's a rape threat it's very explicit you know it, yeah it's i mean explicit. yeah
0: but it's it's you know it's kind of <laughs> saying like wow china is so free next to north korea like yeah. it's, so it's, it's like I'm, do you think yeah. bad or worse it's yeah, like, i'm not being
2: you know. sarcastic but you know it's just <laughs> that if i have to choose from the buffet of dms i receive yeah. i would go for dick pics because i okay. think they're the best but no i mean here, the amount of trolling that I personally have received, it's not, it's not up to the <laughs> up to my standards. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it does not move anything inside me. Yeah. It does not pierce my soul. So I, I'm able to deal with it. Um, but I think uh, with Clitoris Act, we are, we actually have a very good troll who's uh,
0: promoting us on the on the algorithm right now, really yeah. well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
2: and he actually declared himself as I'm a cis, het, white heterosexual male so you know did you expect to me to be a good person and he's just trolling our shows so which is and we are very excited because you know it yeah. means we are doing the right thing because we've actually triggered a white male exactly
0: I mean, it's organic reach you, you 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 know you can pay whatever you want you can't get the organic reach like that yeah i also like it i mean i haven't so i mean my following online is is super small uh and um and i don't really post that often mostly because i just I'm very lazy, uh, which is why I'm on the Lazy Women podcast. <laughs> 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 uh, but uh, but I have had yeah most it's, it's mostly it's it's body shaming, and I'm not saying that body shaming is not bad. Body shaming has led people to hmm. like attempt suicide and also be successful with it, uh, and that's horrific. Um, but another caveat is if this had happened to me about ten years ago, if I had If I had started this journey 10 years earlier and I would be in the position that I am in today, 10 years ago, I would be gutted every single time anybody said anything negative about my body because um, I was telling myself awful things every single day. Uh, But I've I've been on, on a very long journey of... Like self recovering that and and relearning and unlearning all of those expectations and realizing what my worth is outside of that perceived societal image of what a woman is supposed to do and be and look like. So now I kind of look at that as like validation. Like somebody once trolled me and like the cutest thing they said was that I have a face for radio, and I was like, ah, thanks, oh my that's so adorable. Oh my God. Yeah, that's so old like, school. It? It's, I know it's like, yeah, it's like AI, like it's a very badly yeah. written AI insult basically. Yeah. But, uh, but I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. If only I can get one of those contracts, I wouldn't have to put on makeup and I could talk endlessly, give me a breakfast program already. Um, so I can take that as validation because to me it's like, Oh, like my appearance is the only thing you get to go after. Uh-huh. There is nothing else about me that you can tear down except for my appearance. Well, I'm a fucking success then aren't i so um but once again re um, confirm that if this had happened earlier in my life when I was not in a secure enough place about myself if I hadn't done therapy if I hadn't realized all of these things if I hadn't had the community around me that I have now it would have been fucking atrocious which mm-hmm. is why any sort of bullying is not okay in any yeah. such shape or form of course
2: yeah, yeah for me just what I just remembered me for me like in India body shaming is a conversation starter so it's it's more about like i have i think i've been body shamed more by my extended family members friends people i love people who love me yeah so for me it wasn't like if it was like even if a stranger was body shaming me it was me it it was very light because you know like i have been body shamed by my own f- extended family to an extent where you know the the external trolls or dms did not even like break a muscle because you know i've been body shamed by the pros and it's it's so much it of course it uh, you know it uh, it ruined uh, my relationship with my body uh, i have body dis- uh, dysmorphia uh, i have a very toxic relationship with food that i'm now unlearning as well um all of that has happened of course I've, i have processed that in therapy all jokes included like it is it is a nightmare uh, you know to spend most of your life kind of hating your body and then after that you know doing so much of unlearning and rework to reconnect with your body while everybody else in the world is still kind of following the same beauty standards so it feels like you even if now we are unlearning even if now we are doing the right thing but we are so few it still feels like a movement like you know it feels like you're being revolutionaries to yeah. just exist in your body, which sometimes is taxing, it's draining. We could have used that energy to write maybe two more shows by now. Yeah. But you know, but we have to kind Instead, of Instead we've made
0: the one that we have very good. <laughs> we, talk, we talk
2: about all of this in the show, The Clitoris Act as well.
0: But it's gonna it's it's a lot more fun because there's a lot more jokes.
1: Hello, dear Lazy Women
0: podcast listener. My name is Esther, and it's my pleasure to invite you to The Clitoris Act, a two-woman theatrical comedy show by Anshita and Mary. The Clitoris Act, or two cis-30-somethings and their obnoxious views about the perils of patriarchy, is coming to Budapest on the 6th of March. After the performance, I will be moderating a Q&A to discuss the heavier themes of the show. I hope to see you there. And yeah, I actually, uh, that's something that I, I think I wrote into a set once as well that um, basically what Anjida just said, that you think that what you, leaving a comment about my body online is like, hashtag sick burn, please, it doesn't even scratch the surface of the horrendous things I used to tell myself mentally before breakfast every day.
1: Mm.
0: Whatever you can come up with, I've told myself worse yeah already thousands of times
2: in my case my my family <laughs>
0: well yes my family as well but still but you know it feeds into that and and i think for most of us uh we are our harshest critics i think that's like a very human trait i i don't maybe it's a woman thing maybe it's a human thing i don't know i have not con you know conducted a, a massive survey maybe
1: a woman thing <laughs>
0: people get in touch with us via dms let us know you know let's let's do this survey now but uh we are our harshest critics so whatever you know people say on the outside it's sort of then if if you are still in that downward spiral of of self-hatred in any shape or form then it's kind of like confirmation and it's it's the same kind of thing as with online reviews right if a restaurant has a hundred good reviews but two really really bad ones you're gonna believe the bad ones aren't you you're like "Yeah, yeah they're rats it's not Ratatouille, it's worse. Uh, but uh, so it's the same with yourself, right? If somebody then comes and tells you something that you suspect about yourself, um, it's it, it's going to hit that much harder uh, if you haven't done the mental work uh, needed uh, to get out of it. And it's a lot of work that is needed because society does a damn good job at uh, reinforcing those narratives for us. Because yeah, otherwise we would have so much time writing so many comedy shows. Jesus fucking Christ.
1: So one final thing I want to ask you about is political correctness. Um, see, there's this sense or discussion uh, nowadays that people think, or mostly men think, you can't joke about anything anymore. Um, I mean, what do you guys think about this? Is there Has there been a joke where you've been worried about getting cancelled? And what are your thoughts? I don't think cancel culture works. No. I- no. It, it does not work.
2: Okay, I try to ma- I try to cancel my marriage. It's, I'm still married. <laughs> I don't think it works. First of all, and yes, um, I mean I I'm very very passionate about this discussion because I've had these with so many comedians. So uh, when I feel like in my experience, uh, most comics when they start, it's a very very um. human thing to pick low-hanging fruits Mm -hmm. in comedy as we say and punch down Uh, because it's easier because it's a mirror to the society most people sitting in your audience will laugh at the expense of someone else uh, because that's how we've been raised and you know the mainstream pop culture has been like this on tv or whatever it is so I feel like when you start as a comedian you want to make people laugh and you will do anything so you pick the low-hanging fruits so even to be very honest, when I started, I was not really thinking about if I'm punching down, punching. I didn't even know like, you know, there are things that you can do. Yeah. But I feel like the more I more uh, I grew as an artist, I, I started differentiating between my personal lived and shared experiences versus um, the experiences that are not mine. So as a comedian, I will not tell any other comedian uh, to not talk about that. That's my personal rule. I think in comedy, you can joke about everything and anything is a topic that can be made fun of. What you need to see is um, if if let's say just for an example if you're trying to make a joke about something at the expense of someone and that person is in the audience is that person laughing Mm -hmm. if because for sometimes to talk about something that is not usually spoken about uh, it's also a relief. It's a psychological relief. So even to get included in the f- fact that you know oops, I'm worth worthy enough to be made fun of, is sometimes feels very inclusive to a lot of people. Uh, but at the same time, when I grew more as an artist, what I realized is that every punch down joke is a punch up joke if you sit down for ten more minutes. Mm -hmm. is my experience uh, with comedy. So, uh, because I have done workshops, um, I have uh, uh, done joke writing workshops and during, and in India, you know, there are these uh, male open micers and we would jam and usually because of their experience in life and bias, they would come with a punchline which is always punching down and we would sit down and I would give them a different punchline which still said the same thing but it was punching up. So, what I realize is that is possible. But now, what happens is most comedians, or especially male comedians, who get called out or called in for that matter, um, tend to get defensive. That we can't joke about anything now, you know, cancel culture and all of that. Um, it's also the problem with cancel culture is most people who suffer because of cancel culture. I do not like, believe in cancel culture. I also have a problem with that. Uh, but most people who suffer because of that are also medium or mid-tier level comics who are just starting out. If they say something problematic, you know, they don't get the scope of redemption or to change themselves. But if famous, well-paid comedians do that and then they start crying about like, you know, I got cancelled and they're still getting awards and they're still doing shows. Um, Ricky Jawares is not even funny. I'm waiting for him to make you know, offend me. He's not even funny. So I feel like they make more noise and they still get to keep earning money, keep getting the chance to go on stage and improve themselves for that matter, right? So I feel like um, yes, most pe- most comedians who get very defensive uh, Daniel Sloss recently said that you know, uh, when, when people call you out for saying something problematic uh, uh, it's not, they're not cancelling you, they're literally yelling at you. You did not get cancelled you got yelled mm. because they did not like what you just said and if as a comedian you get defensive and not just try to rework the same punchline then probably comedy is not for you because you're too weak for comedy because that's the whole thing right if you get yelled at by the audience and you feel like oh uh, maybe my punchline is not working male comedians often tend to blame the audience then you know come back home and try to work on the same punchline because like I said every punch punch down Mm -hmm. joke can be a punch-up joke if you just do a little bit more work. But I think, yeah, some people don't yeah. want to do that because thanks to this world we are living in. So I think that's where I stand on yeah. this.
0: And I think a, a big thing with, oh, we can't joke about anything anymore is that, yeah, as I, as Anshita said, you need to be punching up and it's possible. But another thing is that you need to be uh, perceived correctly uh, leading up to that joke right so like and that is where appearances and everything come come in like I have so many jokes about wanting to be a trophy wife oh my god uh, <laughs> and I don't look like one but I want to be one <laughs> uh, but because um, life would be so much easier um but um or I have a, a um a male comedian friend here who's a really, really cool guy and he's a feminist and he's, he's, he's such a cool person and he has so many, so many jokes. Um, So he makes jokes about being vegan. He actually is vegan, but because he looks like a stereotypical hashtag gym bro, then he goes on stage and he starts talking about, oh, you know, the problem with this or that, like this is going to lead to a really great punchy-uppy feminist punchline. But people are like, Ugh. you can hear like this, you know, there's the the sphincters clenching in the room because they're like, oh, fuck, this is going to be another Joe Rogan thing. It's mm-hmm. not. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, uh, so So then in those instances, I think it's just like also we as comics, we have to be like, what is the first impression that we're setting and how well do these people know us? Like if you are f- a famous comedian, then chances are that everybody in that audience already knows about you. They've seen your stuff. They've you know, looked you up on social media. They have a framework of who you are as a person, which is why, you know, like your family members are so funny inside the house, but if people are coming over who have never met them, they're like, holy shit, <laughs> you know, because they don't have a framework. And the same thing happens with the jokes.
2: (laughs) This is so true. This reminds me of my dad. My dad thinks I'm funny because he's funny and he's just most of the time being like saying problematic shit outside. It's like, please do not open your mouth. Just tell all of this to me and I'll tell you how to punch this up. (laughs) This reminded me of that, yeah. Yeah,
0: exactly. So it's just like, it's also like how we are perceived. And and if like, I realized that uh, that I couldn't do jokes about racism because i'm a white bitch <laughs> and i had some really good jokes but i realized that these people don't know me these people simply don't know me and hmm. what they see is borderline karen starting to speak on stage and i was like that this is not this is not what i want to be perceived as this is not what i want to do so i was like you know what i'm gonna leave those jokes to people who are actually from those communities and actually are doing a lot better job at those jokes because they actually know a lot more what they're talking about, yeah. so I can be an ally by just, you know, keeping the space open for these people and putting them on stage and not talking about these yeah. things myself. So it's like hashtag humbling experiences as well. That you know,
2: yeah, it's the same thing, no, shared and lived experiences. Yeah. So now, now that I have, I have more agency as a comic, so it's like a personal rule that I only talk about shared or lived experiences. Uh, so when you do that uh, when it's your own experience you can do punch up punch down horizontal upstairs in you can do anything you want because it's your experience and you can cope with it using comedy or you can joke about it the way you want but if I'm going to talk about an experience that's not mine but it's just an opinion then I would actually go and do research I will talk to more people and ask them because even if one person has a has an opinion about the experience the same there could be a different person with the same privilege level but has a completely different experience it has happened to me it happened to me in a show in cologne so i have a set about catcalling and like mari said like i am perceived as this indian woman nice you know you know very homely and i talk about that how i miss my cat callers a lot because you know and you know this sexual desires that i spoke about that So I think I used to have a joke about uh, rape at some point. Uh, And I have have had experiences where I almost escaped rape in my life. So when as a comedian, um, uh, you know, I want to like give trigger warning, uh, anyone who's listening. But yeah, when I started to kind of process those childhood traumas, Mm -hmm. um, and I realized that, oh, you know, because my go-to was use humor as a coping mechanism, which my therapist is like. Like that's a, like 70% of income comes from me. So uh, so I think, uh, yeah, I made a, I wrote a joke about rape and then I went on and did on stage. I was doing that bit for almost a year. And then I, in the audience, uh, there was a woman who came up to me after the show and said that made me really uncomfortable because uh, she was raped. And um, yeah, so she, and it was really an eye opening for me. But during the same show, it was very interesting that during the shape. It, it's also sad that I'm saying this, but it's a it's an experience. So that during the same show, there was another woman. Uh, trigger warning, unfortunately, she was raped as well, and she felt included. So bo- we had a, like a very intense discussion after the show, where it was me and these two women, and the woman who felt included was trying to kind of. I mean, I mean, at that point, I was just a listener because they were talking to each other. But at the end, you know, it became so cathartic. They you know hugged and they cried, and the, I cried. And it was very, I, I still don't have an opinion about it. But then I became more mindful of it. So I, I think I stopped doing that bit. Or I do it, I, I, I have re- reworked that bit as well. So it sounds more punching up. And uh, it's not just an opinion or it's not just a commentary or it's not just a smart, funny, one-liner punchline that I came up with. So if I, I have made a rule that if I'm going to speak about it, I will tell the story and context as well and not just, you know, do like a one-liner thing and fuck off and make so many people in the audience um, triggered or un- uncomfortable yeah. because of that one experience. So I do know that that same joke made someone feel really included, and then the same joke made someone feel really excluded in the same show. So this is this is like sometimes it's a slippery slope, you know. So I think with more experience and with more expertise and uh, with more agency as a comic, for example, you you can choose. I don't want to do this tonight, you know, and I don't want I won't don't want to do this joke ever. but I will do it only in the setups. So it's not like, you know, when people say, Oh, I can't do this or uh, you can't joke about anything or you can't say this. It's mostly because, you know, they they they've been talking about other experiences. So and now they are now people are telling them that you can't do that. You actually it was never cool to do this, but it was normalized.
0: Well, we've got enough power to call you out, and that's what yeah. you find uncomfortable yeah
1: yeah because the people
0: yeah. you were joking about were always uncomfortable about those jokes yeah, so, yeah exactly
1: they just didn't say anything or were told not to say anything yeah exactly. yeah, yeah. All right well ending on a high note <laughs> <laughs> well but th- this is important and this is also why uh, for our show
0: in budapest we um are adding A, a Q&A section after the show mm-hmm. um so, just so that we can actually open these topics because yeah sometimes it's like the joke ends on a high, but after the high, after the punchline actually comes a whole lot of baggage that we don't get to discuss in a, mm-hmm. in a framework of, our, of a performance, right? And so this is why we, we are also adding this bit so that we can actually sit down with the audiences and be like, well, what do you think? Yeah. What What is it? What is it about it? Like, what made you feel uncomfortable and why was it? And and should we, you know, look into some of those things? Mm. And I'm so excited about
2: that. Yeah, I'm. Too, I'm very excited. I'm actually doing a spot tonight. Um, it's a very famous uh, storytelling space in Amsterdam, but they have rules. Uh, and this person sent me a, a line, uh, one of the rules, and it it really, really moved me. And this is something that I really believe in. But I want to say that when in when we are doing the clitoris act, we are talking about a lot of issues that can be very hard to sometimes digest. But I want to tell the people who are listening and the audience that we speak from the scar and not the wound. So I think yeah. it's what uh, this person also told me that when you tell the story, uh, we just request you to say the story from the scar and not the wound. Uh, I personally make it make make it a point that I'm not using the stage time for psychological relief now. I am processing a lot of things in therapy People who are listening, listen, I do not really miss my cat callers. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I am processing all of that in therapy, but I am using the stage to tell my story, my experiences, my shared experiences. And I think I can say the same for Mari. We are talking about our experiences. We have unlearned a lot of things. We have healed from a lot of things. We are processing, we have more tools and agency to process a lot of hard things when it comes to especially body standards. Um, so which is why, you know, we can use humor in a yeah. healthy way to channel all the anger and all the experiences that we have. It's not about just coming on stage and talking about something which is hard to hear just to shock the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, That's not what we are no. aiming for. And uh, that's why we reached Lazy Women, because we didn't want to find a venue, put up a show and go there and say things. We wanted to work with a feminist organization that understands the area, that understands What could the consequences be if we do a show here? And that's how we wanted to collaborate with other people who understand the area better than we do. So because we don't want to come there and, you know.
0: Drop a bomb and then leave on the first train out. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So uh, we are very mindful about that. And we're really grateful that we found Lazy Women. And I am glad that, you know, this is happening.
0: Yeah. And most importantly, tragedy plus time equals comedy. (laughs) Comedy, which Which is a rule that we go by.
2: And I have to say, Celine, I love the questions you asked because I'm so tired of the question. How does it feel like to be a woman in comedy? (laughs) It's been five years. I've been doing it for five years. But I really like the uh, especially the last set of questions that you asked, the punchline gap, uh, the political correctness, the cancel culture. Nobody's asking that. So uh, good job on
1: curating these questions. It was really nice.
0: Yes, every single one of those questions could have been a one-hour episode on its own.
1: Yeah, that's that's true. Well, thank you both so much for doing this. And um, I hope to catch your show sometime. I am soon uh, giving birth, so <laughs> unfortunately it won't be very soon. But, yeah. We hope to see you
2: as well someday in the audience. Yeah.